Welcome to the Health Disparities Podcast, a program of the Movement is Life Caucus, where we have conversations about health disparities with people who are working to eliminate them. Good afternoon. I'm Eileen Bodie. I've been a member of the caucus for 10 years, and I am honored today to be hosting today's conversation with Dr. Augustus White III and talking about humanitarian health care. Currently, Dr. White is the Helen and Melvin Gordon Distinguished Professor of Medical Education and Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at Harvard University Medical School. Dr. White has extensively researched the phenomenon of unconscious bias and its role in health disparities. He has also led the way towards racial diversity in medicine as the first African-American surgical resident at the Yale New Haven Hospital. Plus, interestingly enough, he has also served in Vietnam as a chaplain in the U.S. Medical Corps, earning the Bronze Star. Good afternoon, Dr. White. Good afternoon. We are honored to have you here today. I've been a fan of yours for years. I'd like today to talk about the recent new paper that you wrote with David Sharnoff. It's titled Medical Professionalism and Humanitarianism Healthcare in the American Age of Isms. So how about we start with the idea of why did you publish this paper? Well, I published this because uh, I was uh, very concerned about uh, the, the recurrence, the high visibility, the uh, activity in our country uh, of so many forms of prejudice and isms. Ageism, sexism, racism, homophobia, all of the uh, inhumane uh, disrespects that people can perpetuate on one another uh, is, is very concerning to, to all of us. And, uh, and particularly uh, when it occurs in and around issues of medicine and where physicians are dedicated uh, really in a humanitarian profession and their, their goal and their training and their proclivity is to treat people with respect and treat them well and be kind to them and to have uh, so much of these negative things going on in the society as well as in medicine and in healthcare. And uh, women are disrespected, uh, elderly people are disrespected, and it's really uh, quite, quite common. So I was sensitive to and uh, aware of issues of medical professionalism. And there's a paper that came out maybe, oh, it's probably 25 years ago now, but it's called um, Medical Professionalism in the New Millennium. And it was a, a document that was prepared by some uh, medical societies, leading professional medical societies in several countries around the world, which included the U.S., and they published this document. And it, it, uh, the message was really that professionalism in medicine is a, um, has three major responsibilities uh, to provide uh, patient welfare, to look out for the welfare of the patient, to uh, support the patient in professional 
uh, or at least in, in his, the patient's own uh, autonomy, uh, and to address issues going on in the society that affect the patient's health. And therein is where I uh, weigh in and, and support assiduously and respect tremendously this doctrine of medical professionalism, which says not only are we responsible for looking after our patients, but we're responsible to address as best we can uh, things going on in the society that are affecting the health of our patients. Medicine is a humanitarian effort, a passion on many professionals. How do these professionals treat patients not humanely? Well, it's, it's the reality of our lives, I guess, and um, uh, we, we, I guess, again, this is one of the reasons we're hoping that this paper will have some influence in the direction of having us try to move more in the uh, zone of our humanity and, uh, and our empathetic care of our fellow humans than a propensity in so much of medical realities today uh, has to do with inconsideration and, and lack of respect for care of our patients. And basically, you know, are we a humane society or are we a society that sort of is functioning too much according to the law of the jungle, you know, where uh, the, the people who have the resources uh, uh, and uh, survive or are not impacted negatively by the social realities uh, that impact their health and therefore can result in their demise, really, but certainly in terms of their poor health care. And so uh, we wanted to try to address that, to try to get people to revisit that based mainly on their uh, humanitarian uh, professional training and attitudes and things that do still, uh, I think, impact upon the choice that people make in their profession. I think most doctors are uh, aware that they're in a humane profession and are humane uh, individuals. Why do you think that this paper is so important at this time? Why are its findings important for people to understand? Yeah, well, I think it's important because the lack of humane respect uh, is so existent in our society. I, I mean, frankly, the leadership uh, in our society, starting at the president's uh, uh, office and, and his behavior is, is obviously uh, highly disrespectful of uh, women, of elderly people, of immigrants and refugees, and uh, he does not seem to be uh, wanting them to be treated humanely. And this applies also to prisoners, and as I think we mentioned earlier, people who are uh, gay and lesbian and uh, bisexual and uh, transgender and queer, if you will. And uh, these are all people who are very visibly and very uh, uh, without much concern being treated with disrespect. And I think that uh, uh, physicians, uh, while they cannot uh, necessarily prevent that, they certainly can, within their own, air, own arena, 
within their own spheres of influence, they can make sure that they are being empathetic to patients and treating them in a humane manner. And I think this will be helpful to them, and, and hopefully others will join in, uh, in and try to help us, help us be a more humane society as opposed to just uh, the law of the jungle. You mention in the paper that unequal treatment is often a product of subconscious mental functions, including stereotyping and the neurological interconnections of the brain's emotional response and cognitive systems. Now that's very complex. But you also say that people are sort of hardwired and it's very difficult to break their behavior and their, their unconscious bias. So what can we do or what can the healthcare community do to unwire this kind of behavior? Hmm. Well, I think the first thing would, would be kind of to fall back on three words, uh, education, education, education. Uh, and I believe that, that we can go a long way in improving behavior. I think people can be uh, uh, taught to recognize the things that are going on and be more aware of them. Uh, to know that it can be more rewarding to them as professionals. And this brings us to another point, and that is that uh, we are now seeing a rate of as much as 50% burnout in physicians in their practices. And I think that this is in part due uh, to their um, uh, somewhat diminution of uh, empathy in their patient care. And I think when uh, physicians are more empathetic, uh, they uh, are more rewarded because they are more humane and they're more, they're more uh, tranquil in their relationships and it's more gratifying. And I think there are other factors that are involved too in the kind of the resurgence of, uh, of the uh, inhumanity and, and the resurgence of uh, examples of less than ideal patient care. This lack of, of, of reward, when, patient, when physicians are empathetic, they give better care and they also enjoy their work better. And uh, I think many of us involved in education and us involved in hospitals and, and major medical centers around the country, including um, our medical school, Harvard Medical School, we are sort of addressing the issues of burnout and recognizing that one of the contributors to burnout is this uh, lack of empathy and lack of gratification on the part of, of physicians. Could the burnout be just because they're so overloaded with patient load, they can't, don't have the time to spend with the patients, so therefore they're not having that kind of emotional bond, and so the empathy is not there, not because they don't want to give it, but because they don't have time to give it? Well, I think that's a part of the reason. Yes, yes, I do. I think that's part of the reason that uh, there isn't time. There, there, there's more uh, uh, stress from that alone, but there's also more stress on them having to uh, meet, meet certain forms and, uh, and fill out certain paperwork or their ways of hiring other people to help do that. But this all adds to the stress and the diminution of satisfaction on the part of the physicians. However, again, still, if, if you are being humane and doing the best you can in being humane, 
I think it's more of a, uh, a reward to the caregiver and tends to provide better care and tends to be more likely to not include <laughs> burnout on, on the part of the f physicians. Do you think there's more burnout in urban areas versus rural areas in medical care? I'm not sure I have uh, the knowledge to actually uh, know that. I'm not sure the extent to which that has been studied. Uh, there are certainly plenty of reason for stress and lack of professional gratification in both the, the urban uh, arena and the rural arena. There's no question about that. There are, different, there are different stresses and there are different forces and there are different things that are causing a diminution in the quality of work life for physicians. And uh, uh, yeah, it exists both places and it's, it's very much alive in both places. What do you think are the key findings of your paper? We don't claim any uh, exclusivity or originality in, in recognizing any of these problems, that is, in recognizing the burnout and in recognizing the um, uh, diminution of, um, of, of empathy on the part of the caregivers and in recognizing the horrendous, uh, very inhumane, prevalence of uh, the isms that are going on in our country today. Uh, and I think, uh, I'm, I'm not sure our contributions are so much discovery, in fact they're not, but they're ra rather uh, recognition and uh, agreement with, with the, uh, the uh, recommendations that were made in the professionalism, the medical professionalism, I think that is a a wonderful thing for us to continue to encourage our students and all of the people that we are working with to, um, to revisit that and to try to work for patient autonomy, for patient welfare, and for those, cons those activities in the society that are affecting our patients' health, which would include all these isms, if you will. And we can't change all the isms, but we certainly can, can stand uh, in, in support of changing them and wanting to change them. I, I, I try to encourage people when I speak to them to recognize that we all have a sphere of influence and that we must act in that sphere of influence uh, to do the right thing, to try to do the right thing, to encourage people by example and by uh, what we're actually doing to uh, demonstrate a, a humane, uh, interaction with our patients and with other people with whom we're working. And I think that has a multiplier effect. I know that has a multiplier effect, and uh, many people have, have recognized that. So uh, by doing that as much as possible, and each little bit contributes, pushes back against these uh, undesirable, inhumane uh, patterns that have, have been so hot, so uh, evident in our society these days. And uh, so that is our, our hope and our expectation and our belief that uh, uh, these small pushbacks uh, can combine and we can think of them, I guess, as uh, Robert F. Kennedy talks about. He talks about a, um, a uh, small ripples of, 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 of effect that uh, each of us do when we can, when we do what we can. 
and that these uh, ripples of effect uh, add up and can be a very powerful and forceful tsunami in terms of pushback. So I think uh, revisiting and striving to address the humanitarian aspects of medical professionalism will help the patient and will help the physician. It'll help the patient to get better health care. It'll help the physician to uh, be less vulnerable to and to be less impacted by uh, burnout. You said education is the key to really changing all of these isms. And as a professor, what would you tell other professors who are teaching, you know, medical students, residents, what can they do to be more humane? Can you give us a few examples? <clears throat> well, I, I, I think one example is, uh, it, it is a gross generalization, it's something that I, 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 my mom tried to teach me and I, uh, I think would apply to this. And it's uh, very, very simple. Uh, treat all people with respect. Uh, 360 degrees around you, above you, below you, but treat all of your fellow humans uh, with respect. Um, I think that is, uh, is one step. And I, uh, I think I like to, when I'm trying to encourage these things and teach uh, to the physician and to the patient, actually, um, uh, I suggest that the physician humanize the patient when possible. Do some something to have that patient know that you recognize them as a human being and as a person of importance. And uh, and I think it's a smile, you know, you can talk about the weather, you know, uh, grandchildren, family, whatever. And it doesn't take a lot of time, but it's just letting the patient know that you recognize them not just as a patient and, and a problem that you can help to solve, but, but as, a, as another human being. And I think the patients uh, can do that for the doctor if they have time or with the doctor. Say something, you know, uh, that, uh, to recognize the doctor as a human being. And I think when that occurs, that greatly facilitates the possibility for good rapport and empathy. And again, there, there have been studies that actually show when the physician is empathetic, uh, the patient is more satisfied and the outcome, the, the, the medical outcome is, is better. So that's, that's, that's one thing. And uh, the other thing is to help the physicians to understand, of course, they, they, that uh, practices to address this uh, are uh, better for the society, and better for the patient, and better for them. It's, it's a sort of a win-win-win situation, we believe. So that's that's what we we tried to touch on, I think, in this uh, in this paper. You had a dream in terms of how they could better teach young medical students how to be doctors. What would that dream be? Well, I think it's the I think it's the kinds of things that uh, I just said, really, in terms of uh, uh, teaching uh, empathy and, and ways to e express empathy. Um, I think, um, and having the, the the students understand that uh, it while it's humane and important, it's also in their best interest 
to, to engage in this reciprocal privilege. I mean, it's a great privilege. There are not that many places where your work, your day-to-day -day ordinary work, gives you this, the opportunity to have the gratification that, that doctors have, you know, it, it, they, because of technology and knowledge and experience and so forth. They, they, they have enormous leverage and enormous power to be helpful. And uh, so I think emphasizing, emphasizing those things and, and emphasizing the value that it will have uh, for the patient and for the, the physician is real. It's not just, uh, you know, in some hopeful dream. I think it really, it really does occur. Can you give me a few examples of when doctors aren't humane? <laughs> what, what are some of the things that uh, they do that, um, that hurt people on an emotional basis and perhaps even on a physical basis? Well, I think the most common thing is that they don't show that they're recognizing the patient or caring about the patient or dealing with a, a, a human being, but rather they're trying to get through the office, that they may express their frustration uh, with anything. It could be anything. It could be the previous patient. <laughs> it could be uh, 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 trouble getting a medical record that is needed. But when they, they respond in a way that uh, leaves the patient out, doesn't show any concern or respect or interest in the patient, but is, is very much interested in something else. And unfortunately, uh, the computer screen makes provides a very convenient uh, way to to do to do this to satisfy this uh, unfortunate uh, propensity that that some people may have. Um, so somewhere there in the the relationship between the two human beings, and uh, you know one one of the things that I think is. Uh, Again, not to get too philosophical, but is uh, it is is expressed in in so many people, so many ways by leading people, and that is to try to have us learn to uh, recognize and address the common humanity uh, between the physician and the patient, uh, and uh, people who refer to their fellow humans as. Uh, as Dr. Martin Luther King did, as Dr. Cobb did, as Nelson Mandela did, and the Dalai Lama did. Often when they speak, they start their speech, or when they meet a group of people, they refer to them as their fellow humans. And I think an attitude and an interest in one another as fellow humans and a recognizing our commonality in being fellow humans. I think it's 99.5 or 99.9% .9 of our DNA is actually identical. It's only that very small percentage that's different. And I think that is, that is a tremendous basis uh, for us to be able to uh, uh, be humane and more humane as we interact, uh, interact with one another. But it, it is interesting how so many of the great leaders in the world uh, wrote about and utilized at one time or another in their interactions the Dalai Lama. And uh, I shouldn't, 
I, I, I shouldn't say more about this without saying the fact that one of my very first mentors, and I'm not putting myself in the league with, with these people at all, but they did influence me tremendously, and that was Professor Montague Cobb, who was professor of uh, medicine at Howard University, and I had the good fortune of having him as a mentor. And I invited him to Harvard to lecture, and I invited him to Yale to lecture when I was at Harvard Medical School and when I was at Yale Medical School. And uh, he came and he was very impressive. And uh, when he addressed the audience, he began by saying, uh, good morning, my fellow humans, a good afternoon, my fellow humans. And that really inspired me. <laughs> and I, I understood what he meant. I understood that he was saying, you know, we're, e we're equal, we're both humans and we should care about each other as, as humans. And uh, so I was, I, was, I was just very happy to have Dr. Cobb as a mentor. Would you have any final comment in terms about the whole interconnectivity of human beings? Sort of a final summation. What an opportunity. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, this common humanity certainly uh, is very real and, and very important and uh, it gets back again to what we're saying about are we, uh, are we living by the law of the jungle or are we living as uh, fellow humans uh, with responsibilities and opportunities for our interactions uh, and uh, uh, are we indeed equal and do we indeed have, all of us have certain rights you know, right to health care, right to uh, uh, freedom and justice. And uh, we need to, but I think we need to assiduously advocate for this. I think uh, not only during times when, when the country, uh, our environment is, is, is very uh, disheveled and, 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 and very uh, much involved with, with stress and, and, uh, and difficulties, uh, but always we, we must uh, be careful to address these things. So I would say our common humanity is, is, is a good theme to recognize and to do what we can to contribute to that and uh, recognize that we're always going to need to have uh, some uh, uh, energy and, and motivation directed to the threats to our common humanity. Uh, and I sometimes, uh, as a, as a uh, non-historian, uh, naively try to say that uh, the, uh, the uh, history of the world is really an eternal battle between the good guys and the bad guys, the good girls and the bad girls. And uh, we uh, have to recognize that. And, and the good girls and the good guys have to keep fighting have to keep fighting no matter if we, if, if we might be losing a battle or we might be losing a scrimmage or might be losing, we have to keep fighting because ultimately the outcome is going to be a, uh, uh, a result of, of that battle. So we have to stay in within our spheres of influence that, and so we have to try to do the right thing uh, as best we can with the energy and the ability that we have. So that, I guess that would be my, my message. Dr. White, you are truly an inspiration.
You're obviously a very good teacher, excellent teacher, and we have a lot to learn from you. So we thank you for your time today. It's an honor to know you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I hope all of you listeners out there have learned something from Dr. White today. Thank you for today for joining us for this episode of the Health Disparities Podcast. We hope you found it interesting. Please remember to subscribe on iTunes, or you can sign up on our website to receive notification of new episodes. I'm Eileen Bodie. On the behalf of Movement is Life, I thank you for tuning in. Good day. Good day.